says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And Father, we ask as an act of worship now that you'd help us to give our full attention heart, soul, mind, spirit, Lord, everything within us to the truth of your word and that your word that you breathed out by your spirit would be alive and powerful to speak into each of our hearts this morning, that you would prepare us each accordingly, Lord, that we might hear your voice and that it might liberate us, Lord, in ways in our lives and that we would be set free even as we read here in this text and that you would speak into our lives things we need to hear Minister to us by your word, Lord, we ask in faith, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Can you think of a time in your life, perhaps maybe when you know that you were sort of set free from something? Uh, Maybe, perhaps, it was something that was kind of just controlling you. Maybe it was someone that was controlling you. Maybe it was something in your life that kind of in some ways was sort of ruling over you in your life experience. And then there came that wonderful experience of being set free. And you were liberated from it. You were released from the bondage. You were set free from the enslavement, from some condition or what it was that controlled you. I think most of us in this room would probably agree that the experience of being set free is probably one of the most wonderful experiences in the human life. There is something about that experience, being set free from enslavement, bondage, whatever form or way it may be. That's what our text is actually addressing this morning. You can see in what we read. Jesus is discussing here how a person can be set free. And more than that, why a person needs to be set free as well. And I want you to take note from sort of the the, the, the big blimp view, if you would, the overall picture, a general concept before we begin to go through our verses. Notice that Jesus here in our text is making a very strong connection between truth and freedom. Truth and freedom. There's something about the connection of those two things that Jesus wants to emphasize. Knowing, accepting the truth that Jesus wants us to understand allows Jesus to then set us free and to liberate us from things that may enslave us. The truth, though I'll be the first to admit, sometimes may be kind of hard to hear, never will lead us into bondage. In fact, it does the exact opposite. Truth is always liberating in its influence. It releases us from being wrongly controlled in any way in our lives. The background of Jesus' words here, remember, He is trying to reason with the temple crowds where he is at this time. And he's, in essence, really 
trying to help them see the truth about spiritual matters, to help them overcome errors in their present spiritual reasoning. Look with me back in verse 31 where Jesus says, said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So Jesus here is sort of kind of giving a searching challenge to those who claim to believe him in the things that he's been teaching there in the temple. And he's sort of trying to, his intention here, he's sort of trying to test out their spiritual sincerity. See, Jesus knows better than anybody that there is this potential for all of us to hear his teachings to hear what the word of God says or what Jesus speaks and to kind of mentally agree with the mental truth that was conveyed. Uh, in a sense, we, uh, if you would say, you know, that's a right idea. I would agree with that principle and, and there's some measure of truth to that and we sort of nod our head in agreement to it and thus we believe him. Notice it says to the Jews who believed him, not believed in him to those who believe him. And sometimes we believe what Jesus speaks. We, we believe that Jesus was a credible teacher, uh, that what he spoke was true. And yet there can be that danger where yet a person never really accepts and embraces Jesus' words for themselves internally within themselves, whereby they believe in Jesus in a personal way, fully relying upon what he says and what he offers and what the truth of his words is trying to say to us. And so Jesus here, if you would, wants to sort of prove out, and that's why it says he said to those who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Jesus is trying to convey here that stating that we believe in him with our mouths is not necessarily or automatically an absolute proof that we have believed in him within our hearts, with inward sincerity. However, the one who knows all things and certainly knows our heart conditions even better than we know our own heart conditions is saying here to us in verse 31 that it is continuance in obeying and following the word of the Lord in discipleship that is the very thing that validates or if you would proves out that a person has truly experienced salvation or surrender to Jesus as the Lord of their life. Look what Jesus is stating here, verse 31 with me. He says, if, that's an important word. He says, if, that is, if this condition exists, something that can be seen or measured, if you abide in my word, he's saying, if this is what's happening continuously, ongoing, if, he says, you abide, and that word abide means to continue in, to remain in. So he's saying, if you continue in my word, if you remain in my word, the idea is following and obeying what I say to you, as the Lord, that is a person submitting to Jesus, submitting to the scripture in a continual life pattern, whereby their life is marked by a lifestyle of remaining obedient to the word of the Lord and its truth to direct our lives. Jesus says, if that's the case, if you continue and remain in my word, then he says, you are my disciples indeed. You are, it's evident, he says. That, that's a, a clear validation of that. He says, you then are my disciple indeed. The word indeed means for sure, without any question. 
It's certain, it's obvious, it's evident because of the continuance in obedience to the word of the Lord as the result of what's happened in the heart. He says that's what proves genuine discipleship. And the word disciple means to be someone who's a a dedicated follower, someone who learns from a master so they might live as the master directs. And this is what Jesus is trying to say here, that a true disciple of Jesus can indeed be identified. It will be evident. He says this will be the evidence of it. We can't see what happens in the heart, but the fruit of that will come out in the way that one lives in the fact that they are continuing in the word. Jesus is trying to say here, it's your future and ongoing loyalty to my teaching and obeying me as the Lord of your life, following my word, he says, that will prove out the reality that you indeed are a genuine disciple of Christ. This is what will indicate it, that you're truly my followers by, I see, continuous obedience to the word. That reveals our submission to his lordship in our lives. It's the outward evidence, the validation that we have truly surrendered to him as Lord. As human beings on the horizontal level, we may accept one another's uh, profession of Christ and, and people profess that they follow Christ or they pray a prayer maybe in, in some capacity to profess trust in Christ. Yet it's continuance in the word of God and obeying Jesus as the Lord that ultimately, listen, proves out the sincerity of that profession or the insincerity of what maybe was just a profession, just an emotional experience or just praying through a prayer or to be recognized in some way or whatever it may be. The Bible is trying to tell us here through the words of Jesus that it's the spiritual fruit of living for Christ, following his word on an ongoing basis that becomes the acid test of genuine spiritual life that we genuinely are a follower and a disciple of Christ and something's happened within us. Uh, That reveals to us, of course, something important, that it's possible to make a false profession spiritually. It's possible to make an insincere spiritual profession. In fact, Jesus warned of that even. Jesus said in Luke 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? That's what Jesus is trying to say. A person can say, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Of course I'm a Christian. Of course, today that's getting more kind of ridiculous to say that in our country, the way that we live as a culture. But people, well, I'm a Christian. I was raised in the church. Or I, yeah, I'm a, but Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't live according to what I say? You don't follow my word. You don't submit to my lordship over your life. Every person has to be aware of this. And only you and I can know our heart condition. Only the Lord knows our heart condition. That's why 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says this to each of us, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. The Bible tells us to do that. And here Jesus, listen, tells us a very specific way that we can test ourselves. He says it there in verse 31. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Jesus tells us exactly how we can do it. Now, if we honestly recognize that our practice does not match our profession spiritually, 
That is, maybe we identify that we are a Christian or we claim we are a Christian, whether consciously or maybe even just being misguided, as many can be. It's not something that we necessarily do purposely. If we identify as a Christian, but we don't really live according to the way a Christian is supposed to, we're responsible for what Jesus reveals to us. And we have to respond to that. And we have to humble ourselves and realize... Lord, I, I have been misguided. I believe something wrong. And, and listen, it's very simple to, in a sense, then recognize I need to make a sincere commitment to Christ. And if you haven't done that yet, listen, can I encourage you? Don't leave this place today without having done that. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now's the acceptable time. You, you can make sure today, the Bible says, to make our calling and election sure. And Jesus tells us how to prove out and verify that in his word here now in so saying what he does in verse 31 he also i think reminds us what ongoing responsibility we have as true disciples of christ if you genuinely are a christian and you claim to be a disciple of jesus christ praise the lord but he reminds us as well in what he's saying there in verse 31 what is the ongoing responsibility of a true disciple we're to continue in his word we are to be people who remain in the word of the Lord as a lifestyle. It's part of our calling and commitment to being a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to be continually learning from the Lord so that we can live for the Lord. We need to be continually exposing ourselves to his word. That's necessary in order to live for him because it's his word that directs us how to live for him in all areas of life. And we need to be abiding remaining continuing in the word of the lord john 15 jesus is going to say this he says there abide again again that word means remain or continue in me jesus says and let my words abide remain continue in you so see how jesus puts the two together he says this is how you continue in a relationship with me continue in my word if you continue in my word, you continue in a relationship with me. Jesus puts the two together. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Then he says, for without me, you can do nothing. So Jesus commands here that we have, as Christians, and I'm going to use this word, a spiritual responsibility, a commitment that we owe to our Lord, to our Savior and the, the, the lover of our soul, like we have a commitment in a marriage relationship to maintain ongoing, continuous connection to Jesus relationally, to, to remain ongoing connection to his word and letting him speak into our lives. The one and only thing, I tell you this, and the words of Jesus indicated there in John 15, the one and only thing that will ensure and enable that we live the fruitful spiritual life we're supposed to in, live as a Christian is by abiding and remaining continuously in a relationship with the Lord by being continually in relationship to his word interacting with the word of God, letting his word speak into our lives as it needs to. And if we disconnect from Jesus relationally, if we disconnect from the word of the Lord, the power of the spirit of God, the sap that flows from the Lord into our lives as weak, feeble branches, that power will be cut off and we will struggle spiritually. 
We will struggle spiritually. Number one question, anytime I meet with someone counseling this, that, I always ask, tell me about your devotional life. I cannot tell you how 99.5% of the time there's a direct correlation between a person's struggle, deficiency, whatever, or absence thereof of a continuous abiding relationship with Jesus and they're struggling in other areas in their life spiritually. Because it's, you know, it's like a microwave. You can push the popcorn button, you can push the 30 second, you can push the reheat button, everything's there. But if it's unplugged from the wall, there's no power source. There, there's nothing coming from it. And as a Christian, you can know all the buttons. It's this, it's this, it's this. It's just, and, and, and you can try to the nth degree. But Jesus says, apart from me and the power of my word, you can do nothing. And certainly we won't be fruitful in our lives. If we detach from the Lord, if we detach from his word, we will sin more easily. Sin will begin to gain ground in our lives and we will become an unfruitful follower of Jesus. Look, I think there's probably no more fitting place perhaps in this moment and passage to give an encouragement and a challenge to you regarding the importance and the, the value of a daily time of devotion with the Lord and His Word. The benefit of that, the importance of that, and the fact that I believe it is a spiritual discipline we should be committed to. It's something that is vital for our lives. It's a part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. People in relationships spend time together. They spend time together. They make time for one another. This is the part of a mark of a healthy relationship or lack thereof a healthy relationship. And the same is true spiritually. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And so to give Jesus some part of our day, I mean, by golly, how much time of your day do you give to social media? How much time of the day do you give to your iPhone? I mean, all the other things, to the gym. The Bible says exercise yourself towards godliness. People will spend an hour and a half a day in a gym and they won't spend six minutes reading their Bible. It's amazing. We're cross-fitting and so concerned about our spiritual diets, juicing and everything else, but nobody feeds on the Word of God. And then we wonder why our spiritual condition is the way that it is. The two are direct correlations. And I'm not saying any of those things in and of themselves are wrong, but there's this concept of a priority thing. Listen, I try and exercise. I'm not real committed with it. But exercise will never come before me spending time alone with the Lord first. And if I have to choose because of limited time, I exercise myself towards God as I spend time with the Lord and I'll get fat. I don't care. I'm married. And I got a pretty good metabolism, thanks mom and dad. So I'm, I, I'm not that super concerned. But I'm not going to neglect my spiritual health and condition because out of the overflow of the heart flow all the issues of life. And, and listen, I, people, oh, you're saying it's hard, I'm too busy. You, you're never going to find time. You have to make time. And, and don't make unrealistic commitments. Listen, if you're struggling in this area of your life, listen, you, you mean to tell me you can't find 15 minutes a day? I, I would rather see somebody spend 15 minutes every day at their lunch break, in the morning, before they go, alone with the Lord, get somewhere quiet, away from every other human being, with your Bible, read for a few moments, say, Lord, speak to me, and just give some time of solitude 
to the Lord and time alone with him and, and do this every day that then once every week or every two weeks feel so guilty that you try and read 27 chapters of your Bible, the whole book of Genesis, you know, because you're feeling so guilty and you're trying to like overload and binge eat on the Bible all of a sudden, you know, and just trying to cram. No, consistency, regularity ongoing relationship where you just get alone with the Lord, read his word. Listen, you, you can be a teenager and do this. You can be an adult and do this. You read a portion of scripture. You say, Lord, speak to me. And you trust the Lord to speak to your word, you read your heart. You read the Bible in the present tense. Maybe you, you, you journal down out of those 10 verses. This is the verse I like the best. And you, that one really just seems to connect with me there. Maybe you write a thought or two about it or whatever you find works for you. But the value of spending time with Jesus every day, letting him speak to you, uh, there are some of you, I am certain, even in a room like this this morning, that this is an area where you need to make some practical adjustments in your life. And you should do that. I, I can't exhort and encourage you enough. You'll, you'll diminish my counseling appointments, I assure you that. <laughs> you can have mercy upon your pastor in that way. There's just be a wonderful thing. Because Jesus will speak to you personally. And you'll be walking in the power of the Spirit and not being overcome at times by the weakness of your flesh. So again, this, this is just a valuable, important thing. Just spend that regular time. Be in His Word. Remain in His Word. I think another way of continually remaining in His Word, obviously, is doing exactly what all of you are very commendably doing this morning. You're assembling for worship where we're in a church that teaches the Word of God and we study the Word of God, being in regular attendance at worship gatherings to hear the Word of the Lord, to continue in His Word, to remain in His Word, hearing it taught to your heart, faithfully committing to consistency, not just showing up to church when it's convenient, not just coming if there's not something else to do. Listen, a disciple says, no, this is a priority. I need to be in the house of the Lord. I need to be continuing in the word of the Lord, being taught, being ministered to by the word of God, letting it speak into my life. Uh, and for some, again, maybe you need to make an adjustment in that area. Maybe there's this inconsistency in your worship life and gathering at assemblies when the word of God is being taught. Can I encourage you? If there's inconsistency there, deal with it. Deal with it. Again, we're very consistent in other things. We make other things priorities. If you need to establish the discipline of, no, listen, it's not just when it's convenient we'll get there. No, I, I need to be in the house of God to keep my family in order, to be a spiritual leader, to hear the word of God because I get some junk in my head all day long. I don't just come to church Sunday morning, Wednesday night when the doors are open because I'm the pastor. I need to be here. I would be a mess. I was doing this before I was standing behind the wooden box. I promise you. And I'd be a mess if I didn't. An absolute mess. My wife will gladly testify of that. I need to hear the liberating truth of the word of God continuing in his word. And again, for some of us, we need to make adjustments at time in this area. Maybe it's to say, listen, I've been doing this. Maybe I need to add another time into my life when I get into the word of God again. Maybe I go every Sunday. Maybe I should go to another Bible study beyond Sunday morning and let the word of the Lord have its power and impact. Now, if Jesus' instruction about that was not enough, he then goes on to give us an incentive to show us the value and benefit of continuing in his word. Look what he says in verse 32. He says, and you shall know the truth. This is a result of being in his word and the truth will make you free. Now that's a pretty good incentive. 
If you say, oh, what is the pastor harping on the whole devotion thing about? Well, look, there is a benefit to it. There actually is something that's a very wonderful incentive of why us doing this is a good, wonderful thing for us. The personal benefit of continually remaining in the word of the Lord is Jesus says we come to understand the truth and can experience the liberating power of truth, God's truth in our lives. Jesus promises here, verse 32, those who remain and continue in his word shall know and understand the truth. And can I say knowing the truth is probably one of the most helpful things for any human being's life. It's so helpful. And there, in my estimation, are three powerful sources, if you haven't noticed, that are constantly presenting and persuading us with wrong ideas and error continuously. The first one, the world. We live in a fallen world system as the result of sin's entrance into it. We live in a world, ladies and gentlemen, that is governed by lies. It, it, it is guided by misunderstandings and, and misperceptions that's continually, not only that, aggressively now feeding us wrong information. The media doesn't want to, in a sense, inform you. They want to conform your idea about what is right or what is acceptable from their distorted perspective. And to live among this world, because it's sin-filled, we're going to be constantly susceptible to being misguided. It's just a part of dwelling on this planet. We're always going to be susceptible to be misled and misguided. There is so much error in thinking that we're subjected to around us falsehood about different areas of life and morality and what is right and what is acceptable and wrong and that's repeatedly just sown into our minds conversations and media and music and and, and opinions and news and, and deception due to misunderstanding and manipulation one or the other and it happens both ways is always going to be pressuring us to be misled so the world's a big source of not knowing the truth. And then, of course, add into that, the Bible also teaches a second source of problem is we all have a sinful human nature inside. And I found in my human nature, my sinful human nature, one of the worst features is it has an incredible ability to lie to us successfully. It's incredible. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Boy, that sounds scary, but God's word says, but even before it's desperately wicked, it's deceitful above everything else. Your heart will deceive you. We sing that one song, my heart deceives me, my feelings lie. And this is a struggle for all of us as human beings. Our hearts and minds can deceive us. We can have wrong thoughts. Our feelings lie to us. Our viewpoint and perspective can often become in error. Our moral compass, you know, sort of is broken and is defective. Sometimes, I'll tell you what happens too. Sometimes people have bad experiences in this life. And something very painful happens to you. You're mistreated, you're hurt, you're wounded internally. And, and maybe you have some very painful or bad experience. And I tell you what happens. That bad experience causes you then to live and believe a lie. You believe a lie about yourself. And it's that trauma from that bad experience that's making you believe a lie your perspective has been distorted because your mind has been damaged because of what was done to you and it doesn't have to happen you don't have to live like a victim 
Your heart and your feelings and your mind are telling you a lie. And you don't have to believe that lie. Sometimes in our lives, we have strong longings or desires for something selfishly. And I find what happens with that is when you have a real selfish, strong desire for something, it's amazing, isn't it? We'll lie to ourselves that something's okay. The heart will always make a convert of the mind. You want something bad enough, you will convince yourself and justify it's okay. And you'll deceive your own mind. So the world lies to us. We have the capacity to, to lie to ourselves, but then the greatest source of all of lie and deception is just the devil himself. Jesus is going to say at the end of this chapter that the devil himself is the father of lies. He lies. He, that's his native tongue when he's to speak lies. And the devil influences the, the world lying to us. The devil is at times manipulating our own minds and he just circulates error and untruth. This is what he does. It's his MO. It's his, it's his job description. He just propagates lies and deception in many different forms. The Bible repeatedly calls the devil a great deceiver. And when the devil lies, listen, he does it in very subtle ways. He doesn't just hold up a sign and say, today's lie is. He just, he's, he's subtle. And, and, and he will put a twist on it that then in a way whereby just like you bait a, a, a hook to, to draw on the fish, that's what the devil does. He, he cloaks it in a very way that, that's very appealing and he just subtly draws in. And the greatest lie, of course, and the worst is to believe wrong ideas of what's spiritually true or what's eternally a reality. And the, the good news is this. Jesus says here to us, if you continue in the word, you will come to know the truth. You'll come to know the truth. Lies and error and falsehood and misunderstanding and deception can be revealed and it can be exposed for what it is. And we can see clearly and accurately the light of the word of God shows us the truth about our life and matters and then we can see correctly, we can see what's right. Psalm 119 says, the entirety of your word is truth. Listen, every part of the contents of this precious book that you and I have in our laps it's instruction, it's teaching, it's all true. It's 100% grade A truth. And our world needs this and our lives need this. This presents us the truth in entirety of everything that we need to know about God, about our life, about what God's plans and purposes are for us, about eternity. There's no greater resource you can spend your time investing in or exposing yourself to that will always tell you what is completely factual. And it will never shy away from telling me and you the truth that we need to hear about every area of life, every matter, whether it's correcting our wrong idea or whether it's confirming us to encourage us to say, listen, you are believing what's right. Don't listen to what your feelings are telling you. You are believing what's right even if you feel like you don't fit in the world anymore. <laughs> And it will always speak to us the truth that we need to know to protect us from being deceived. It corrects our errors, our wrong ideas, our feelings that are wrong, our thoughts. Only the Word of God and Scripture speaks to us pure, sincere truth about these things. About God and His plan, His power, His purposes, what's true and accurate spiritually, what's right and wrong in matters of life to give us that honest direction. If you want to come to know the truth about things for your life, come to the Word of God. Amen. And if you want to continue 
to have God's truth and have the truth amidst the lies of the world and the own deceptions that happen within our hearts and minds and the devil himself remain, Jesus says, in the word. Continue in the word and you will continue to know the truth. And why is that important? Because lies always result in human bondage. Lies always result in slavery in many forms. And I say many forms because you can be mentally enslaved where you are enslaved to just wrong thinking. And you're just thinking wrong about something because you're enslaved because you've been indoctrinated with wrong ideas that that you've been exposed to or that you've just come to believe. And you can be enslaved mentally to believe something and to stay in a situation that you shouldn't be in. Or you can become an emotional slave to wrong feelings where you're enslaved emotionally in some way and it dominates and controls your feelings. You can become a physical slave because of lies where you live in a wrong lifestyle as an addict to some substance or some lifestyle that's self-destructive and and you, because of a lie, are living in a destructive manner or a spiritual slave where you're kept back from God's will. But Jesus is saying to us here in his great love for us, but he says, if you know the truth, do you see what he says at the end of the verse? The truth shall make you free. It'll make you free. It's not just great, I know the truth. No, Jesus says the truth is liberating. It'll make you free. It'll, it'll take away the enslavement. Again, as I said earlier, I'll be the first to admit, it's not always enjoyable and pleasant hearing the truth. It, it's not, but it is liberating. It's helpful. It sets us free from things that destroy us or ensnare us or hold us back. Just think of occasions in your life, maybe even something simple, where somebody just told you the truth. You were trying to fix something a wrong way on a machine and somebody said, you're doing that all wrong. You're just using the wrong tool. Oh, wow. I tried to fix that back toilet about four different times this past week. Couldn't think of running, running, running. My dad came in once and I said, why do I can't fix it so as I run? He said, did you ever move this? Toilet stopped. Man, I've been believing a lie. And here you just show me the truth and boom, the toilet stops running. This is what a father does. A father wants to, God the Father wants to give you the truth to liberate you, to let me and you not have to live enslaved. How much more wonderful when somebody gives us the truth spiritually, the truth of God's word that gives deliverance from wrong behavior or wrong lifestyles or wrong thoughts or feelings. Jesus says it's knowing the truth and that truth, he says, it will make you free. It will liberate you. Listen, this morning, I don't have to ask who in their life does not prefer or would not enjoy experiencing just a little more freedom in their life from something or from something. Just a little more freedom. And Jesus promises the key to that here is coming to know the truth. He says, if you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. And the truth, it'll make you free. It'll be liberating. Well, hearing Jesus speak of their need of being made free. Look what happens, verse 33. They answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, verse 33, you will be made free? So instead of realizing Jesus is concerned about spiritual slavery in their life, they immediately again think of what's physical 
And because they're very patriotic and proud, they quickly take offense to what Jesus says right away about the fact that somehow they as a people might need to be delivered from some form of bondage. You notice there they claim their spiritual heritage as descendants of Abraham because that made them feel very superior. And then they right away start refuting, how could you possibly say we need to be made free? They say there very emphatically, we have never been in bondage to anyone. Hello? This is the Jews. Their history, they've never been in bondage to anyone. What about Egypt? What about the time of the judges, the Philistines and the Syrians repeatedly? What about captivity in Babylon and Assyria? And what about in their current historical status in that day Jesus was talking to them, Rome ruled the Jews with an iron fist. Look, this is a fitting illustration. The Holy Spirit slips right in there to demonstrate how people can believe a lie. Believe a lie about themselves. I mean, were they just perhaps so traumatized over the generations that they, th their perspective was damaged? Maybe. Or was it just that like all humans could do, they were just willfully ignoring the obvious reality because they didn't want to admit it? And pride was keeping them back, and so they're suppressing the truth here. They don't want to face what's true about themselves. The worst thing is they have no awareness of their true condition, which mattered most, is not national slavery, but spiritual slavery. But this verse here gives us a fitting picture of how hard it is with human pride to admit error and to recognize what's true about ourselves sometimes. Human pride is a curse in this way, man. It's much easier to hold on to false perceptions or a wrong viewpoint and just to be stubborn and refuse to see the truth and to just hang on to what we want to believe. I just want to say this morning, be careful of this in your life. It's a, it's a struggle for all of us. It is very easy to just be stubborn and not want to see the truth and to, to just cling to some lie that we just want to keep believing. And to just continue to be comfortable with it. And, and I tell you this, this is crazy. But sometimes people are more comfortable staying in what they know inside is wrong than they are having the courage to be open to change. And this is part of the deception of the devil. And we have to be careful of this. Rather than being willing to hear the truth, sometimes people will just suppress the truth and they were doing this thing. Well, Jesus takes things right back to the spiritual in verse 34, he says to them, look, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Again, the word sin is anything, of course, that in our thoughts or attitudes that's contrary to God's will. Anything we say or do that's against God. And Jesus indicates, very important here, look at it in verse 34. He indicates that committing sin is not just error. It's not just wrong. Jesus says it's enslaving in its consequence. It's not just, well, sin's wrong. Yes, it's wrong. But worse, it's enslaving in its consequence. This is what Jesus is trying to indicate. Sin and its effects strips us of personal freedom. It has the power to take control and dominate our life and rule over us like a slave. Jesus says, whoever, everyone who commits Sin, that word commits that Jesus uses there in the original language, speaks of a continuous habit, the, the practice of something. The language Jesus used there is not referring to an isolated act or a one-time mistake or a periodic failure. He's indicating in his language used there a person who practices a lifestyle of sin. 
who continuously is engaged in some unrepentant ongoing pattern or habit of living in sin. Now, whether that be a particular sin that a person just lives in continuously as a lifestyle and they participate in that sin, they refuse to repent of it, they cling to it in some ongoing way, they're living in that sin. Or it could also, I think, be a reference to just the unsaved person yet still who lives in sin still continuously, even if they don't realize it or want to admit it, because they haven't yet been freed by Jesus Christ. And so as a result, they're still living under the impulses and desires of sin. Ephesians 2 speaks of the unconverted soul in this way. This is how we all were before we were saved. It says in our condition prior to salvation, you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind. That's the, the condition of the unconverted person, the Bible says. That we were driven, though we might have thought we were free. No, I do what I want to do. God says, mm, can I tell you the truth? I know you're making decisions. You think that you're doing what you want to do, but you're being driven by the sinful impulses that rule over your life and the devil's manipulation of that because the Spirit of God is not on the inside yet having liberated you so that you can live over the power of sin. And listen, whether it is some ongoing practice of sin or whether it is just still yet not being converted, committing sin is still the same consequence. He says a person becomes, look at Jesus' language there, a slave of sin. Sin essentially takes over rulership of a life. It controls it in many different ways. One man said this, listen to this quote. He says, sin is like a strong narcotic. It's naturally habit-forming. That's really good. Sin is like a strong narcotic. It's naturally habit-forming. It gradually but powerfully sinks in a deep root system and it takes over control of a person's life. They may not even recognize it, but the roots go down and actually sin has strength to dominate a person, right? It dominates a person's desires. It dominates their feelings. It begins to drive and direct their decisions. It directs their actions, how they live, and it robs a person of the freedom that God intended for them to live in. Look, contrary to the lie that is promoted and many buy into, freedom... Freedom is not unrestrained indulgence in anything we want, whenever we want to do it, how often we want to do it. That's not freedom. That's called a path towards enslavement. That's called a path towards bondage. Because Jesus says here, if we continue to do that, it leads to wrong life conditions. Gradually, incrementally, but it has a bondage-forming enslavement. It leads to people who are stuck in wrong habits. Listen, talk to people who get stuck in a wrong habit. Now, so, you know, I just woke up one day and I said, man, I want to be a heroin addict. Nobody does that. It's a gradual, incremental, oh, I want to be enslaved to this. I want to, I want to be enslaved to this life-dominating habit. Or, that's not what happens. It gradually enslaves. It gradually takes over control. And notice that Jesus, who loves us and always tells us the truth and wants what's best for us, uses very strong terms. He says, a slave of sin. That's a strong term. A slave of sin. According to Jesus, it's personified sin is as a cruel master. Write in your notes and read Romans 6. It's 
described further there how sin can have dominion. Now, what are different forms of sin that we can be enslaved to? Certainly, unhealthy life habits and things that can control us that are destructive, maybe alcohol or drugs. Some are enslaved to pornography. I assure you, even in this room this morning, statistically. Some are enslaved to different forms of lust or sexual addiction. Some are enslaved to things like lying or stealing or gambling. Or Some are slaves of their own anger and their inability to control it. Now, I know there are others in this room that right away say, yeah, I'm not like, I'm not like those enslaved people. I'm not a slave. Wait a minute. Let's be honest. There are plenty of other things that are sinful that we can be in bondage to as well. Some are slaves to bitterness and unforgiveness and holding a grudge. Some are enslaved to worries. Some people are slaves of fear and fear dominates and rules their life. Some are enslaved to depression or to perhaps anxiety. Some are enslaved to materialism. God bless America for helping us with that, right? Some are enslaved to financial greed or some are slaves to the need of acceptance. They have to have their friends' acceptance. They have to have you know, the, their peers' approval. And, and so they're enslaved. They literally do things in a way because they have to have the approval of other people. They're enslaved to it. There are many different things that can, in a sense, enslave us. Some are enslaved to discontentment. Some are enslaved to gossip and backbiting. They just can't seem to stop talking the way that they should. There are many different things, and it's understandable we all fail periodically, but I want to say this this morning. Don't lie to yourself. If there is genuinely something that you have become a slave to sin to in some way, know that Jesus wants to rescue you. He wants to set you free from that. And this is what he's trying to convey to us. He says, verse 35, a slave doesn't abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So he speaks of one of the drawbacks as well and struggles of being a slave. He uses the picture of a slave versus a son in a house. The life of a household slave, uh, it was in a sense a life of constant insecurity because see, a slave never had assurance that they wouldn't be put out of the house. At any moment, a slave could experience the disapproval. And, and the life of a slave was a life of no lasting peace. They dwelt with constant you know, lack of assurance and continual insecurity because they never felt a sense of approval. The son was an opposite case. The son knew that he was in right relationship with his father. So the life of a son was a life of security and stability, a life of peace, feeling settled within. And Jesus here is trying to portray this sadness of the unpleasant experience of being a slave of sin it's like living like a slave it's a life of constant insecurity when you are a slave to sin you live constantly insecure and unsettled within you're never at rest within you're always struggling with yourself you're not even happy with yourself let alone worried about whether god or anybody else would be happy with you and it's a miserable struggle condition and Jesus wants to remove us from that. He wants us to have stability, to be able to be a stable person at rest, to be freed. That's why he concludes in verse 36 by saying, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus alone has the power and authority to liberate us internally from sin's ruling power. He, the one true Son of God, 
having permanency from heaven's throne, which will never be removed from, has all the authority of heaven to help us in any condition, no matter how long we've been enslaved to anything. He has the power and the authority to liberate us as we surrender to his rulership. He throws off the chains and the rulership of whatever else may be ruled over us and we can be liberated from that fearful, miserable, insecure condition. Now certainly verse 36 I think speaks directly to the promise of Jesus and the salvation experience that if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And as I said, every person the Bible teaches begins life not just under the penalty of sin but also under the power of sin. And at some point in our life, recognizing our sinful condition, we have to humbly come to God and to Jesus, and we need to be delivered from sin's penalty, because we all make mistakes and fail, but we also need to be delivered from sin's power, so that we can live the life God wanted for us to live, and live in that freedom, and not have that sense of, of guilt and, and this invisible backpack of bricks that you've been carrying your whole life, and you just wonder... What is it? I can't see it. I can't figure it out. But what's always weighing me down? That's what's weighing you down. And Jesus loves you and he wants to take it off you. If you'll let him. He wants to take that off you. But we also sometimes need help with just practical areas maybe of struggling with sin. And Jesus is trying to tell us, I can break the power of sin from controlling you. I can break that power that's been keeping you struggling with that. And Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Completely free. Not just temporary or momentary power or victory, but deliverance without needing to return to some habit or some thing that governs over our lives. And, and hear me this morning, please, every one of us. We do not have the power in ourselves to set ourselves free from something. Pick anything on that list I mentioned earlier that we can be enslaved to or other things that maybe you can add to it. We do not have the power to set ourselves free. That's a well-intended mistake that many of us make in our lives. We try and get free, some ideas, some program. We spend the next 20 hours on the next Christian book. We have to recognize our desperate, needy condition and humbly come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't get free of this. Please set me free. Set me free. And I'll tell you how this often happens practically. And this is where truth and freedom tie together. A lot of times Jesus says, I'll set you free. And here's one of the ways I'm going to do it. You get in my word. And as you get in the word and you know the truth, the truth will set you free because Jesus will be able to set you free by the power of the truth of his word, liberating you from the lie that's kept you in that slavery for so long. Hey, on the authority of the word of God and the present power of Jesus Christ, can I say today, today can be Independence Day. Today is a day, now is a moment that it can be a day of liberation, a moment when you can be set free. Believe that. Respond to that. Receive that for your life. Let's stand together. Let's pray.